Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Great to be together today. Go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to John chapter 17. I'm really looking forward today to talk more about Jesus. We've been doing that now for quite a while, and we're going to continue for a while longer. And I think as we're doing this, and we've been talking about many different aspects of Jesus, I think as we do this, it's really helping you. I know it's helping me, hopefully everybody, but it's really helping us to get a, a better picture of who Jesus is in our minds. And the better that picture is, then the better we're going to be able to follow Jesus and really be the disciples, being the, the, the men and women of Christ that he, he needs us and expects us to be. A few weeks ago, we talked about the mind of Christ. And I said at that time that the mind of Christ is the very wisdom of God, right? So it's, it's what God knows. It's how God thinks. It's, it's what God knows to be right or wrong, to be true or false, to be, to be good or bad. And today what I want to do is go a little bit deeper with this wisdom of God. Now, you might be thinking, how can you go any deeper than the wisdom of God? I, I think we might be able to do it today. When I identified wisdom at that time, I said it was the knowledge, the insight, the the perspective gained through experience, ready to be applied and practiced. And and certainly God can do that every day, right? Because he's God Almighty and he, he never misses, he never gets it wrong. But what about us, mere mortals living on this planet? How are we to apply this wisdom of God? So what I want to do today is get a little bit deeper with this idea of practice. So what is practice? Well, there's a couple of ways we can view it. One is it's what we do. Okay, it's things that we apply ourselves to. And we usually know when we're doing it. So if I'm practicing piano, right, I know when I'm doing that. If we practice our golf swing or we practice... Uh, dance moves. Now, I don't practice either of those two things. I do practice piano, but we always know what we're doing and when we're doing it. So practice is what we do, but there's also a practice that's not necessarily what we're doing at the moment, but it's more who we are. So for example, a doctor, we, we would say a doctor practices medicine, but it's not just when they're with a patient, they're practicing medicine all the time. Or we might look at an attorney and say an attorney practices law, But it's not just when they're with a client or when they're in court. They're practicing law all the time. As Christians, we can practice the the, the wisdom of God, not just when we're in a situation when we need to call on God because we're in a jam, but we can practice the wisdom of God all the time because it's how we live our lives. So what is it that, that keeps us going with this? Well, it's something very deep inside of your heart, and we call it our conscience. So what exactly is your conscience? Well, your conscience is this, this inner feeling. It's a voice, and it's, it's viewed as a guide to whatever is righteous or whatever might be considered wrong or unrighteous. And, and how that plays out 
in our behavior. And so another way to look at your conscience is your moral compass. A compass guides you in the right direction. So your conscience as a Christian guides you in that right godly direction. Now, it's more commonly known as a gut feeling. We've all had that, right? Where you're put in a situation and you're not sure what to do or what to say. And you're thinking, man, I just got to go with my gut. I got to know, go with what I think deep inside is the right thing to do or to say. Now, as we've been looking at the parts of Jesus, and we've been doing that quite a bit, today we're going to look at the conscience of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, why would Jesus be in a situation where he has to draw on his conscience? I mean, if he's God in the flesh, wouldn't he just always know what to do and not even have to think about it? Well, maybe so. But I think it's because that he is God in the flesh, right? So it's that fleshly side of him that was put in situations, whether it be in the Garden of Gethsemane or, or many other times, where Jesus had to stop, pause, and think. What is the right thing to do? Now, he always chose right, but I think he had to draw down deep. And we know from a couple of scriptures in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted, right? So Jesus struggled under the weight of temptation, just like I do, just like you do. A little further in chapter 4, verse 15, For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not sin because he, drew, he was able to draw down deep into that inner being, and his conscience, being in the right place, was his guide and led him in the right direction. So when do you typically call on your conscience? It's when you're in a tough situation and you're not sure what to say or what to do or, or maybe even how to think. So let's say on the job, you're in a situation where your ethics are, 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 are called out and your boss or your coworker or whatever wants you to do something and it's company policy, it's not illegal. You know in your mind, man, I just don't think this is the right thing to do. So you've got this conflict going on. You know, what does my conscience say about that? Or maybe you're put in a situation where you're asked to make a decision and or maybe choose a side on something and there's no clear right or wrong and you're trying to grasp what does my gut tell me? Right. So in those situations, we're digging down deep. What would God have me to do? But when we get in those times, why is there a conflict? I think one of the most challenging things that we face as Christians follow, you know, or those following Christ is living in the world and not being of the world. So it's trying to straddle that fence of, you know, what do I do? What do I say? How do I think? You know, I know what other people do. I know what other people say. I know what the Bible says, but yet I'm, I'm with all these other people. And so we have that wrestling match that goes on all the time. And Jesus knew exactly how we felt about this. And he says towards the, the latter part of his life in a very long and, and great prayer, we're going to read part of it in John 17, but he, he details what that struggle is and, and how he might help. This is John 17, verse 6. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. 
Now they know that everything that you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I come from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for those in the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. And none of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And I believe in this part of the text, Jesus makes it really clear. There are two worlds. We're going to call them empire and kingdom. During Jesus' time and during the time of the disciples and the early church, the empire was the Roman Empire. And that was where they all physically lived. And I think Jesus knew just how difficult it was going to be to live in that empire. But it's very interesting because he never called them to come out or to leave the empire or to overthrow the empire. He didn't call them to reform it or to fix it, or to even try and make it a better place. Jesus knew exactly what the empire was. That was the place where Caesar was king. And that was where they physically lived. But where they spiritually lived, Jesus was king. And he knew that while you're in this world, you're going to be subject to the laws of the empire. And in Matthew 22, we're not going to turn there, I'll just paraphrase it, but in Matthew 22, there's a story where Jesus was asked a question. Do you think it's right that we pay taxes to Caesar? So he was being, he was being questioned about, do we give our allegiance to, to God or do we give our allegiance to, to Caesar? Why would we pay taxes to him? And what does Jesus do? He, he asks for a coin because he never had any money, right? So he, he gets a coin from somebody and he looks at it and he shows it to them. And he says, whose portrait is on this coin? And it was obvious it was Caesar's, right? And so what does he say? He says, give to Caesar or give to the empire what belongs to the empire and give to God what belongs to God. Now, what did he mean by that? Give to the empire what belongs to the empire and give to God what belongs to God. <clears throat> and I think Jesus was making a statement. There is a difference. 
And while we might live in both realms, so we live in the empire, we also live in the kingdom. Our allegiance as Christians is not first to the empire, but our allegiance as Christians is first to the kingdom of God. And this is, I think, where it gets a little tricky for some of us. Where is that line between what is Caesar's and what is God's? Where's that line between what is of the empire and belongs to the empire and what belongs to the kingdom? And probably even the more important question, where am I on that line? What side of that line am I on? Well, the answer is pretty simple, but pretty complicated. Let your conscience be your guide. Okay, so what would that even look like? I think Jesus made it really clear. And to, to grasp how he felt about this and where his conscience was, we have to actually backtrack a little bit and, and go back to the very beginning of his ministry. So go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 14. He's just getting started. He's young. He's probably 30 years old. This is one of his first times where he actually publicly gets up and he speaks in the synagogue, which was typical of people of that age. So he stands up and this is what, what happens. In verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began uh, by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, why were so many eyes fastened on him? Maybe they had never heard this scripture preached before, at least not the way he preached it. But I think they have heard this scripture before. I think it was probably a pretty, a pretty popular one. But maybe this was the first time that they ever felt it. Because when Jesus preached that message and he preached those scriptures, there was something dramatically, something radically different about it. And then there was that comment that really shook their world. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I imagine all the times they might have heard that, nobody ever had the audacity to, to stand up and say, today, this is fulfilled. This is coming to life now. And so what were they hearing? They were hearing things are about to change. Now, I think for many, that was a very welcome message because to them, things needed to change. Living in the empire, living in the Roman Empire was brutal. The oppression was incredible. No rights, no freedom. 
They were mistreated constantly, no justice, no sense of fairness, overtaxed, overworked, underrepresented, just miserable. And so when Jesus comes on into the scene and he says, hey, this is all going to be different, they were elated. They thought, this is wonderful. This is exactly what we need. They were waiting for God to, to overthrow this regime and open up a door for, for his people to rule the world. And they're thinking, maybe this was it. Maybe this is our time. And just maybe Jesus is the one. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus wasn't here to rule the world. Somebody else already had that job. And if you look back a little bit further to what we were just reading in Luke 4 in verse 5, this is Jesus when he's being tempted by the devil. And he just came back from this amazing time with God and fasting and praying. And, and Satan confronts him with this very thing, beginning in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, right? So we might say he showed him the whole empire, everything that this world is made up of. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Now listen to this. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So Jesus knew who the ruler of the world was, right? And so he wasn't interested in becoming the ruler of the world. Jesus was here to create another community, an alternative community, where the, the emperor isn't king, but Jesus is king. And although this, this alternative community may exist alongside the empire, right? So again, he wasn't looking to overthrow the empire, the Roman Empire. He wasn't trying to get rid of the king and get rid of all the officials. And, and now Jesus is, is ruler of the world. That, that, that's not what he was here for. So this kingdom of God was going to exist along with the empire. But the first allegiance of those that were now in this alternative community was to be God. And as Jesus was reading that text, that we see in Luke 4, which was actually from uh, Isaiah 61, I believe. Hopefully that's right. There would be a promise to the members of this new community, this new kingdom of God that was now on earth. And for that community, this wasn't a get out of the empire free card, right? So that's not what Jesus was trying to do. But he was, he was proclaiming and bringing to them a way to survive, even thrive while you're in the empire. And, and shortly after, after he read those words in, in Luke 4, verses, uh, verse 43, he goes on, he, he leaves there, he goes on into the rest of the world, right? And he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. So what is this good news that he was proclaiming? It was the alternative community. It was a way to still exist in the empire, but yet have something else to live for and somebody else to give your allegiance to than the king or the emperor or the Caesar or whomever it was in that world they were in. It's a place where, where they could find freedom 
and they could find recovery for their vision. And it's a place where they could escape the, the grip of the oppression that they all felt so much, all while staying in the, in the empire. So what does the good news of the gospel mean to you? We're all familiar with that, right? We say, oh, well, the, 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 the good news of the gospel to me is forgiveness of sins, or it's a clear conscience, or maybe we say, I get to go to heaven one day. But too often, the, the day-to-day life that you might be living is much the same. But you're looking forward to heaven, and you're glad, you're glad all your sins are forgiven, and, and, but, you know, week by week, month by month, even year by year, nothing in your real practical life looks all that different. Now, forgiveness of sins a clear conscience and being able to go to heaven. Those are all great things. I'm looking forward to that too. But those are the fruit. There's more to it. When Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God, he preached a life now that you can enjoy now while you're you're alive. And and yes, we get to have those things later. But there was an expectation when he preached this, this good news of the kingdom of God that we would give our full and undivided allegiance to him as our king and that we would be a grateful and uh, an active part of this new community. And so that brings me back to my earlier question about the line. When it comes to empire versus kingdom, what side of the line are you on today? Well, how would you really even know that? It is your conscience. But how can you identify if your conscience is even in the right place? Well, Jesus does that too. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in, and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And not just your heart, but your conscience as well. And what you treasure in life, whether it be things of this world or things of the kingdom, will determine which side of that line you really live on. And so when you're faced with a decision about something going on in this world, remember what the world really is. We can engage, and we should engage. And your life can make an impact. And we should do everything we can do while we're in the empire, while we're in this world. Everything we can do to present the side of God Right, and to present the the position of the kingdom of God on things. But remember, at the end of the day, the world we live in is still the empire. It's not the kingdom of God. And it never will be. So don't expect it to be. Don't wrap your arms around the empire. Wrap your arms around the kingdom of God. This, this kingdom of God, it's the, it's the living, breathing conscience of King Jesus. 
And that's where we as disciples live. And this is going to be really important as we move through the next several weeks and we approach November 3rd. And so next week, I'm going to get into a lot more detail with this in terms of everyday life. How do we actually take this, this position, this, this conscience of God, this conscience of Jesus, and apply it to every single thing we do and how we think. I may not cover every single thing we do, but I'm going to apply it a lot more to, to how we need to be thinking as we move forward. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully everybody's going to be here. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you. I wish I could be with you. Hopefully we'll do that again. But uh, thanks for this time. I really hope you have an awesome day. Amen. Thanks. Take care. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.